You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Good evening, folks. How's it going? Welcome to another episode of Review and Preview. I'm your host, Hank and Dicker, and joining me today is, again, one of my buddies from uh, the Empty the Bench Sports Network. That would be Nick Morgison. Nick, how's it going? What's going on, man? I'm happy to do it again. Let's go. Absolutely. This is a lot of fun. I cannot wait. And um, folks, before we get into anything else, we have a lot to discuss. I'd like to give you guys a friendly neighborhood reminder. Please don't forget to follow us on all of our social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Review and Preview Sports. And of course, please don't forget to follow us on all of our. Um, please don't forget to hit that big red button down below. Give us a like. Give us a comment. Let us know your thoughts. We want to hear from you guys. And um, Nick, I think we might as well start by discussing the uh, NFL division round recaps. And there were some pretty good games. And uh, we have a comment already from my buddy Ben Cruz. Sup, guys? Ben, how's it going? Thanks for the comment. And uh, folks, please don't forgive, forget to give us a like on the Facebook. It helps with the algorithm. It helps with making more of you guys see what we are producing. And uh, also, please don't forget to leave a comment just like Ben did. And um, let's talk about – let's start with the Chiefs-Jaguars game first. I, I might think we might as well go in chronological order here. That was definitely a closer game than a lot of people anticipated. But in the end, I believe the um, – the uh, Chiefs ended up winning as we expected, but it did come with the cost, though, with that having been said. Yeah, I mean, Mahomes did get hurt, high ankle sprain. I I actually just saw his uh, press conference uh, leading up to the championship game. No walking boot. He's not limping, so it looks like he's going to be okay. Uh, I saw the line as of the moment. I think it's the Chiefs are a plus one right now, which... If Mahomes is healthy, then this is a whole different game. If he's not healthy, then the Chiefs are in are in trouble. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I think one way or another, they are in trouble because you know high ankle sprains. I don't know if you've walked on those. Those are no joke. I mean, you're talking about four to six weeks, roughly, on a normal basis with a high ankle sprain. I mean, like you said, it's no joke. You you need recovery time when you sprain an ankle. Now. He had, what, four days, four to five days to recover between the games. So that'll help him. But I'm not going to say he's going to be 100% because that would be crazy. At, at this time of the year alone, any NFL player who says they're 100%, they're lying to you. Yeah. Every NFL player, like, once you get to the playoffs, like, pay, plays with some form of pain at some point or another. No, and, I'm and it doesn't have to be a real injury. It just is wear and tear from a long year of football. My point exactly. 
But um, I think we do have to give the Jaguars some credit where credit is due. I mean, look, it seemed for a while that I was the only one that really saw their potential. I mean, Nick can vouch for me on that. He saw me talk about them a good amount of times during all football during our, our football Friday pick segment. And, um, you know, when they were two and six, I still never really wavered on that because look, you they, were they good had, about that. They had some close losses at that point, but like, you know, they still had a good amount of talent on that team. And not to mention Trevor Lawrence was dealing with some growing pains. So that's why I never really wanted to give up on them. Plus, it also had to do with the fact that I really was not sold on the Titans whatsoever. Oh, the Titans were such a joke. I mean, they won a game. Well, they started the season well, then they lost their last eight. I mean, like, I can't have sympathy for you when you lose your last eight games. I mean, just to go back to the Jaguars, I don't know if Trevor Lawrence was really him in this game, but you can't say they lost the game because of him. I'm not willing to I'm I'm willing to fall on that sword to say Trevor Lawrence actually played well in this game. I'm not gonna say perfectly, but played well. And I don't know. I just the Jaguars were just a mismatch against the Chiefs, even though it was only a touchdown game. Yeah, absolutely. But I think as far as the Jaguars go, they have nothing to hang their heads on. I think and we'll talk a little bit about them later, but at the very least, you know that their window is going to be open for a while, so long as Trevor Lawrence is healthy. And also guys like ETN, who are really have a bright future for the team in the next couple of years, as long as, well, you could say this about any team, but as long as they're healthy and their stars are healthy, then they'll make a long playoff run for many years. But that's that's any player or any team you talk about. True, true. But... At the same time, the Jaguars also have an elite quarterback for the first time in probably their franchise's history because I don't think I don't think you would have really considered Brunel elite, and I certainly don't think you would have really considered Byron Leftwich or David Garrard at that level. So or Blaine Gabbert. Oh, please don't even get me started. <laughs> and don't you dare try to give me Blake Bortles. No, I'm not. I, I was a Blake Bortles hater. That, even though he almost won a game against the Patriots that one year in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I I can't do it. I, I'm just not sold on a lot of the quarterbacks that they have had. But, you know, definitely good for the Jaguars. And as I said, they accomplished a lot of historic feats. And as far as the Chiefs goes, I think, you know, five AFC championship games in a row, I would say that that speaks for itself. and. To put that in perspective, look at how many quarterbacks have appeared there more than Patrick Mahomes. You got John Elway. You got Joe Montana. You got Tom Brady. And I would have to, I think, uh, I think Terry Bradshaw has probably the same amount of AFC champ or championship game appearances as the other guys that I mentioned. So you're basically saying that he's heading for Hall of Fame territory. You could argue that he already is a Hall of Famer after only like five years as a I'm, starter. That is. Well, I was being facetious partially because you're, every person you mentioned was a Hall of Famer or about to be a Hall of Famer very soon. Yes, but Patrick Mahomes has <laughs> already put up insane numbers in only a short amount of time. The man is insane. Like he is a phenomenon. Like he, 
it's almost like a like a robot. He just like does the same thing. He he's gonna go out and get you three to four hundred yards each time Actually, he goes I think out I there. Neglected to mention Roger Staubach. I believe he's also in that category. Again, basically all Hall of Famers. Yes. So that and we all said this already. Now, I think Pat. A lot of people were very hype. Too much hype on the Mahomes train early on because. When he went out and won, then people were expecting, oh, my God, he's going to win three and four and five. Like, people have to realize winning Super Bowls is not the easiest thing. No, it's not. So when people say that you are the next future, if you win two or three, that's really good for uh, – and I'm sure we're going to talk about this quarterback later, even though he's not in the playoffs. Look at the whole situation going on with Aaron Rodgers right now where – Everyone's like, well, he's like, I'm satisfied. I want to go out and win another MVP. How about go out and win another Super Bowl and solidify your career with multiple Super Bowls? Because that's a rare feat that most quarterbacks don't have. I mean, isn't it, isn't it amazing Nick doesn't have the same ring as a certain John Sterling phrase? But I know. <laughs> isn't it amazing that the Packers have had 30 years worth of quarterback stability and somehow they only got two Super Bowls out of it? That's what's so crazy about this, that... Aaron and Rodgers, they were both elite quarterbacks, too. Yes. And for a man that's going to make, what, $60 million next year as his pay rate? I mean, it's... And we don't even know what's going to happen. That's going to be fun this year, the Aaron Rodgers circus. But I'll save that for after the playoffs. I can already hear the music in my head for <laughs> a certain show that you may host. Um, but in any event, definitely a big win for the Chiefs and... Look, it's you know who else get it's another feather in his cap is uh, Andy Reid, another championship game. I believe he's now made, let's see, five with the, uh, I believe he's made 10 championships, five with the Eagles, five with the Chiefs. I mean, he was, it was kind of weird with his Eagles tenure, the way it ended, like all the controversy that happened with him and was he going to recover and never really making it to a Super Bowl and winning. Then he finds the new job with the Chiefs, gets Patrick Mahomes. You have guys like Travis Kelsey. You finally build the team and you win. I think it, it, good for Andy Reid because Andy Reid deserved a better opportunity than what kind of happened to him down in Philadelphia. Well, I mean, look. Look at all the teams that he had in Philadelphia. He didn't really have a superstar or an elite talent-level player per se until you could probably argue the case for uh, Terrell Owens. Well, was he was he stuck in the uh, Donovan McNabb Terrell Owens drama? Yeah, he was, but that wasn't really Reed's fault. That was just that was just To having such a big ego and Donovan McNabb. You know, it that was ugly. I mean, Donovan McNabb was a good quarterback. He just was never he was very good, but, but he wasn't elite. He wasn't elite. Yeah. I wouldn't. I would never call him elite because. He's, he couldn't lead a team. Yo, who did else do you have as better receivers? Chad Lewis, Freddie Mitchell, Todd Pinkston. Um, I think he had he had I think he had Deshaun Jackson at the very end though. Yeah, he did. Um, oh, Jason Avant, and uh, I'm trying to remember some of the other Dante Stallworth, who had his own I, troubles. Yeah, good receivers, but not great by any stretch. Let's put it this way. You weren't calling any of those number ones anytime soon. No. Although Freddie Mitchell did have that big moment against the Packers with the fourth and 26 catch. That was insane, too. Yeah. But in any event, 
He's back in the championship game. He is definitely going to the Hall of Fame at this rate. And, um, you know, we'll talk about their chances in the game against uh, the the Bengals as that goes along. But I think next up we got to talk about my New York football giants and their fall to the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, I'm going to probably talk more about this game tomorrow night on Big Blue Avenue. But this one was ugly. Now, look, did you see me getting cocky about the Giants' chances against the Philadelphia Eagles? No. Maybe I jokingly told people, oh, the Giants have house money. They've got a chance. But you've talked football with me. You and I have mentioned that the Giants team-wise are not on the same level as the Philadelphia Eagles. And that was painfully, painfully obvious. But there really were a few. Let me mention the one thing that just changed the game. I mean, the Giants are already down 7 nothing. They gave up a touchdown on the first drive of the game. And then they're driving down. They're in Eagles territory. But then, it's four, then they're facing a fourth and eight. And to go for it at that moment, while I... I don't hate it as much as others. Like I respect Brian Dable for being ballsy. My issue is there's a time and place for everything. That was not the time because, you know, that it failed. And that meant that they gave the ball to the Eagles with really good field position. And as a result of that, they scored a touchdown fairly easily that made the game 14, nothing. And, you knew, given the talent level that was on the Giants roster and that, and how much better the talent was on the Eagles side compared to the Minnesota Vikings. Well, at least if we're talking defensively. I mean, you're talking about Swiss cheese defense compared to the Eagles. I mean, <clears throat> when you look at the way yeah. the, the Eagles are built, offensively, they had, I, I hate to say this, but they had like two or three steps up on the Giants offense, but the defense was definitely was definitely better, was going to play better. They were going to stack box. Now, the Johnny Eagles were light years ahead of the Minnesota Vikings. Oh, um, I was talking about compared to the Giants, but basically, yes, the, compared to the Vikings, they're light years ahead. But Johnny and I were talking about this, that mm-hmm. basically the Giants – Look, and I even said this, they looked a step slow defensively uh, when they were out there against the Eagles. And then when they got down 14 nothing, that basically negated the run game because they were trailing for, yeah. most, for the whole game. I mean, look, Saquon really didn't have the best game, but he did have some good moments in this game. Like, I know I mentioned in my blog, the top five reasons you can't blame Brian Dable, that he didn't really gain much traction, but part of that was because the giants didn't really have a chance to give him the ball. And like you said, it was because they were down 14 to nothing. And, but he was responsible. Well, partially responsible for the one touchdown. He gave Matt Breida the handoff and Breida across the end zone. But by that point, like it was 28 to seven. And then, and then Brian Dable opts to punt when down by 21, which, you know, I understand the Giants probably were were going to lose the game regardless, and it was the fourth quarter, but I don't know. It, it didn't sit too well with me after all the times where he was willing to go for two, 
He's the gutsy coach. He would go for the for the for the play when on the fifth, what I call the 50-50 down, where you would try to figure out what you're doing. That being said, he he thought that he might have a chance to get the ball back, which is why he did it, which really doesn't make sense. So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna praise Brian Dable for a lot of great things, and he's deserved a lot of praise, and he deserves, and if he gets coach of the year. You will not hear any objection from anyone who's even watched a Giants game this year. And you know what? That Dable, was that moment. <clears throat> Dable has turned the team around in a lot yeah. of ways. And on top of that, like I know they struggled with their wide receiver core, not 100% their fault. Injuries partially uh, causing that issue. And dealing with a quarterback situation with where Daniel Jones played way better than anybody ever thought he was going to play this year. People... Everyone thought that the Giants were bringing him back just to basically as a holding zone until they were going to look for the next quarterback. Now, because he played well, he won a playoff game. That that should buy him at least another year as the start of the quarterback. I think it's actually going to, because of the way the contract situations worked out with the quarterback, including a uh, unfortunate quarterback that got a guaranteed contract, which is now screwing up the quarterback market. But I think that Daniel Jones is going to get three years, 90 million just because of the way the quarterback market is going. And I think the Giants are probably going to give it to him. Yeah, no, I totally see it. I think it's very much possible. But at the same time, I think they definitely have to be wary of what he could ask for, because like I said, you want to you have to you definitely have to let him come back next year with another chance as the quarterback. I mean. I think given how much of the games that he has won for you, it's only fair. But, you know, I have never once called him an elite quarterback. Could that change depending on his set of receivers? Eh, Maybe, but... I'll give you a name, though, that they should go out and trade for. I've said this many times. Johnny made a face when I said it the other day. Oh, let's hear it. I think they should call Arizona and trade for DeAndre Hopkins. See, I don't entirely hate that. I just don't know what Arizona is going to be asking for. But what leverage do they have? He's already asked to be, he's demanded out already. Then again, at least he's going to have a quarterback who has a better work ethic than, say, uh, Kyler Murray. Well, and also he's going to miss like the first four to five weeks of the season with the injury. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I, I said it to Johnny, I'll say it to you. I think it would cost the Giants a first and like a fourth to get DeAndre Hopkins. And I understand, I understand the Giants have the draft capital that, but what are they doing with it? I mean, well, here's the thing. The first and a fourth might still be a good amount because you still have other areas that you have to fix. And again, I'm going to get to that in our next segment, right? I'm just throwing it out there, but yeah, but No, the Giants have a lot of areas of need that they have to fix. But at the end of the day, I have almost all the trust in the world that Joe Shane will be able to get it done because I think the Giant, I think they're really headed on the right track. And he made a lot of great moves that helped them this year. But, you know, as as far as the Eagles, I mean, look, I'm not surprised that they are on their way to the NFC Championship. I mean, you know, I said it in my article that, like, I wrote for you guys. Look at the offensive line that they have: Lane Johnson, Landon Dickerson, Jay, um, Jason Kelsey, and then Isaac Samalo. 
and I forget the other guy's name. They're all of them are if they're not pro bowlers, they're at least alternates for the pro bowl. That's like a heck of an offensive line right there. I mean, that's, that's that a brick is, wall. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, what I called this goalie on my hoodie for the Rangers, except different sport. <laughs> But, but yeah, that it's a brick wall, and there's a reason why you've got the, that Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders, and AJ Brown all had over ten touchdowns. I mean, AJ Brown and Jalen Hurts have to be a top three duo in the NFL, but that's thanks to the offensive line that doesn't allow Jalen Hurts to get knocked out every single well, time. And not to mention, you got you not only have Miles Sanders as a Pro Bowler, Kenneth Gainwell's no slouch either. Right. I mean, when you look at some of the other teams, like like we both said, the Giants had a really good year, but the Giants offensive line struggled at times. And that forced Daniel Jones out of the pocket more than he wanted to be all, all year. The only consistent member of our offensive line was Andrew Thomas. I agree Although, with you. Evan Neal has shown flashes that he can be better, but he also struggled during the latter half. Andrew Jones Jones was or Andrew, Andrew Thomas. Sorry, I'm thinking of that baseball article that I was writing. That's why. I <laughs> hey, it'll be here before you know it. Andrew Thomas was, you know, the was considered a bust early on in his career. But look how much better he's gotten. Evan Neal, I'm not as worried about. I just think he has a lot of stuff to work on during the offseason. But with that being said, you can't can't forget how talented he was coming out of Alabama. I think he will be just fine. There is no doubt about it in my mind. And then you look at the other three members of the offensive line, Nick Gates should be moved to center next year. And then John Feliciano and Mark Lewinsky. I'm not so sure Feliciano is going to be back. He should not be the center at all, but I digress. Compare them to the, to the Eagles. It's, it's not close. And, you know, I think I, I think I have to ask you this question. How many players on the Giants would be starters on the Eagles? How many positions do the Eagle do the Giants have that's actually better than the Eagles? I mean, I don't know. I guess the Saquon situation would be debatable. Maybe I, I'll give you Saquon because you you aren't going to find running backs of that caliber. But, but even then, there's not much more I can think of then. Otherwise, like you didn't get good production out of Gainwell and Sanders. And then you got to go. I would maybe say Xavier McKinney. I would probably take over their safeties, but even then that's not like a drastic area. That's like life changing. Right. Um, I, yeah. I can't think of many. I mean, the Eagles were pretty much a perfect. Maybe argue. You could maybe argue Dexter Lawrence could be ahead of, uh, but then again, he'd probably be fighting time with Hargraves for the defensive line. And right. um, as far as our edge rushers, Kayvon Thibodeau is going to be great, but he's not yet a star. I wouldn't put him there just yet. Their front four, by the way, 70 sacks. That's unreal. It's for, unbelievable. Well, granted, not all the sacks came for the front four, but like you had Josh Sweat, Hassan Reddick, and um, who's the other guy? It wasn't Brandon Graham. Like all those guys had at least 11 sacks. They're beasts up there. Reddick had 16 sacks. Yeah, they're beasts. They're I think only uh I think only Nick Bosa had more sacks than uh, You're right. Yeah, he did. Hassan Reddick. Yeah, they're beasts on that line. Like the Eagles were just an all around, I wouldn't say perfect team, but more sound 
15. No, I wouldn't perfect. I wouldn't necessarily say is the case, but the roster construction was pretty damn good. And I mean, not to mention you said AJ Brown going back to the wide receivers. They have two number ones. They do the have two number ones. Would be number one, any other team. You're right. They technically do have two number ones. And that's why Jalen Hurts has so many options and they can spread the football out because they have to guard everybody one-on-one. They can't double team. So it's crazy. Yeah, no, that really, basically that whole comparison gives you an idea as to why as much as I wanted the game to be closer, it I it kind of was the fallacy of a predetermined outcome that the Giants were just not gonna win that game. But I was I just got concerned when it was what was it, twenty one to seven at the half? Or it was it was twenty eight nothing. It was or twenty eight nothing. I couldn't remember, but twenty eight to nothing at the half, and I was like okay, I tried to block as much of that game out of memory bank. As uh, but I, I just remember looking at the scoreboard, I'm like, what the hell happened? Like and I was like, all right, I guess this game's over. I don't have to watch the second half. Oh, no, it was absolutely brutal. Absolutely brutal. But you know what? In my opinion, the Giants overachieved this year and because they were not supposed to make the playoffs. They were not supposed to win a game in the playoffs. I, f- I think their over-under for the year was six. That was, w- that was the win total that I thought they were going to have. Well, they beat that. <laughs> so... I thought maybe, well, six or seven. It was pretty, it wasn't that high. But in any event, let's move on to the Sunday games and uh, Buffalo against Cincinnati. That was unexpected. Yeah, I'm a little surprised at this outcome, but, and I'm very surprised the way Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs played. Um, They were absolutely horrible. I mean, Burrow outplayed him. I mean, not by yards, but outplayed him. Um, and I don't know what happened with Diggs. Did you see what happened with Diggs after the game or no? Oh, didn't he go on that rampage like and uh, <laughs> call out Allen for not getting him the ball enough? So he was yelled. Well, that was towards the end of the game. They were yelling at each other. Well, he was yelling at Allen, who had his head down, basically not looking at him. And then <clears throat> after the game, Stefan Diggs tried to... Uh, run out of the stadium like basically as soon as the game was over and the rookie running back pulled him back into the locker room and said you're not leaving until the coaches come back and didn't uh digs have that problem when he was with uh the uh minnesota yeah didn't he and kirk cousins have that whole argument oh yeah yep so i don't know stefan digs as much as he's a top five wide receiver, he's got a top five attitude problem. Yeah, it's going to make for some interesting talk in the off season. That's for sure. I just, I don't get it. I mean, I mean, Stefan Diggs did not have a good game. Four receptions, 35 yards. If you're going to be the fourth leading receiver in the game, that's a no go. That's a no bueno. You're not winning unless Stefan Diggs is at the top of the yardage for the game. Well, here's the real thing that was a shocker. The Bills' defense. What the hell? I thought they were one of the best in the league. Yeah, I was kind of confused by the, the Bills' defense, and <clears throat> they just looked a step slow. And once they were trailing, it just looked like they didn't try anymore offensively. Well, yeah, I would agree, but... You also have to, you know, give credit to the Bengals where credit is due. Oh, no. Their offense was great. 
And Joe I mean, Burrow great. was typical Joe Cool, <clears throat> like he's been in the playoffs. And would you like to hear a fun fact? Yes. So, you know how many games Joe Burrow has won in the playoffs? I did see the number, but I can't remember it now. Five. Okay. You know how many playoff games the Bengals won before Joe Burrow came along in their entire franchise history? Five? Yes. <laughs> wow. That That's an incredible stat. <laughs> two Super Bowl appearances in the 80s, both both heartbreaking losses to the 49ers. Another win in 1990, didn't really do anything again for another 30 years, and now they're back, and they are in a good position to probably return to the Super Bowl. And listen, I would not be surprised, and got to give a lot of credit to Joe Burrow, work credit as you, but Joe Mixon, that guy had a, had a pretty good game, too. He ran 5.3 yards per carry, 105 rushing yards. 20 carries for 105 yards. Yeah, he looked, his momentum is on fire. They The Bengals need to ride him to the Super Bowl. He looks really good right now. I would give him the football. Don't get me wrong. Burrow has been throwing the football fine. But, I mean, you have guys like Chase, who was not healthy for, what, five to six weeks? And... If he's going to be back, like, and T. Higgins, Chase along with T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, that's an offensive uh, explosion waiting to happen. Oh, I see. Uh, Garth is uh, unleashing his inner, um, his inner Ric Flair. Woo! Woo! For the comment, Garth. (laughs) But yeah, the the Bengals are going to be tough to beat. Even with Mahomes healthy, I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be closer. Uh, than any game so far in the playoffs. And there's been a lot of blowouts in the playoffs. Can we also talk about how good good the Bengals' defense is? They're really good. They are, like, scary good. I mean, let's put it this way. I'll give you another fun fact. This was the lowest scoring output the Bills have had all year long in a single game. I'm not surprised, because the Bengals have come around defensively to really... Uh, stop gap teams and put their offense up front. And once they get the stops, they can really go off on offense. And then teams are just pressured to score the bills. You know what? We should have been scared because of the way they almost lost to the Miami the week before. I mean, do you see how close that game was down the stretch and how embarrassing they almost lost to Skylar Thompson? Yeah, no. And not to mention, there have been a lot of moments where Josh Allen has thrown a bad interception. I mean, I... Did you hear the news about him? Did you hear the news about him after the game? What was it? That his elbow is injured? Why am I not surprised? It's almost like I said after that game against, I believe it was the Jets, that maybe they should rest him up for a bit. You, You were totally right, by the way. Uh, and I agreed with you that they should have. Didn't, didn't we both say that on this very show? We did because he had nothing to lose by sitting out the game against the Jets because they probably would have won it anyway. But he came out after the game and said, I- I'm going to have to I don't need surgery, but I'm going to have to sit and rest for like six to seven weeks or whatever he said. And I was like, that means you were hurt the whole time. Once again, I see a little bit of. Brett Favre in him just minus the certain scandalous things and let's hope to God he does not call 
numerous retirement press conferences. You're talking about the stubbornness as a quarterback? Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, Josh Actually, Allen. More is, mobile than Brett Favre, I'll say that. He, oh, yeah. I mean, Brett Favre was kind of dead Brett weight. Brett Favre was as mobile as a tree. Yeah, he was dead weight. <laughs> I mean, but Josh Allen, it, and you know what? He kind of reminds me of the mobile abilities of Lamar Jackson. Now, where he can move the ball out of the pocket, but someone's going to knock him out eventually if he doesn't stop running the football. I mean, don't get me wrong. I know he's mobile, but that's going to be a downfall or dangerous going in the future for the Bills. I'll give you another player that did really well for the Cincinnati Bengals. Mike Hilton. Yes, very much so. Eight tackles, had a big quarterback hit, also stopped uh, Singletary. He's really good. Like he's going to be, he's good. He has a, uh, a bright future ahead. Really? So, yeah, no, there was a lot. There were a lot more. There was a lot more to this game than Joe Burrow. But I honestly think this Bengals team is better than the one the year beforehand. You know, what's also scary to me that the Bengals beat the Bills in their own element in the snow. That should tell you all you need to know as to why. Tom called me not long after this game and told me that the Bills were frauds. And, you know, based on what happened this year, I don't think I'm necessarily in a position to disagree with that assessment, even though the Bills are absolutely loaded. I mean, the problem is everyone is like over the top with Josh Allen. So when he doesn't win, then all of a sudden it becomes... Oh my God! Why didn't he win? Or like uh, my my Mike Francesa voice, like Oh my God! Like that and, stinks. That, and that's what people are saying. Even Bills fans are pissed off that he didn't. They didn't make it to the Super Bowl. You know why? Because the expectations were so high this year that it was basically Super Bowl or bust for the Bills this year. All right. Yeah. No. I'll talk a little bit more about the Bills for, again, the next segment. Yeah. I keep teasing this on you guys. But now we have to talk about the 49ers and the Cowboys game. And that was one low-scoring game, I must say. And I'm not going to lie, it had me a little bit nervous because the 49ers were the home team and the Cowboys looked like they were in a position to take this one. But... Brett Maher had an, or is that his name? Brett Maher? Yeah, Brett Maher. Yep. Had that extra point blocked. And then Dak, you know. Dak, Dak was Dak. Dak was whack, as Tom yeah. said. There we go. Um, the other thing that, first of all, Maher should have never made it to this game. He missed four kicks last week. I mean, really? Now, in the regular season, he would have been cut. No doubt. Would have been cut. Wouldn't have seen another game. But this is the playoff, so they can't have a kicker, I guess, that uh, ready that quick. But Brock Purdy outplayed Dak Prescott. I can't believe I'm saying that. You want to know a fun <laughs> fact? Brock Purdy has the same amount of wins in the playoffs as uh, him and Tony Romo. That's his rookie year. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> Wait yep. a minute. So what is that? Two games? Two wins? Yes. 
Uh, well, the other fun fact I was thinking of, and I did it in an ETB, ETB minute from my show, was Dak Prescott made the, uh, what was it, the uh, championship, not the championship game, the conference game, three times. And how many times has he been sent home? Every time. Three times! <laughs> I'll tell you, you know who was definitely... You know who I think the MVP of that game for the 49ers was? Fred oh. Warner, the linebacker. He was good. He was really good. Had that big interception in the second quarter when, it looked, when the Cowboys were driving, and then that led to points. I mean... One guy I said to watch for San Fran, if they make it all the way and they win, I think McCaffrey's got to be most valuable player on their team. I really do. Yeah, McCaffrey was definitely a big part of that win. And I believe that was act that's actually his eighth consecutive game with a touchdown. I told you once, and I told this to all you guys, that he needed a change of scenery in the worst way. He was he didn't want to stay in Carolina forever. That would have been his career would have been dead if he stayed in Cal, uh, Carolina forever. Now that he's in San Francisco, where he's got a decent quarterback, he's got decent wide receiver options which could spread the field. He'll get more open green field to run. You know, there's an alternate universe where he would have been a where he's a Niner for his whole career. Was there? Yeah, if John Lynch hadn't taken. Uh, it was either Solomon Miller or Solomon Thomas. I can't remember that guy's name. That's how much of a bus he was. Damn. In 2017, you know, when they fleeced uh, the Bears in the Trubisky trade. Yes. Oh, my God. Who could forget that trade? Oof. <clears throat> but Everyone thinks, the, like, conventional wisdom would say the Niners, like, came out like bandits in that trade, except they kind of ruined that with the Solomon Thomas pick. <laughs> but this would Imagine be. Imagine if they had Christian McCaffrey that year. That would have been sick. Been you think maybe they would have had a Super Bowl by now with the score? Yes, absolutely they would have. Especially if you look at, um, well, I could get into their quarterback uh, picks that they've made later, but if they, um, let's just, let me put it this way. If they lose to the Eagles and I do a top five reason you can't blame, I'm probably going to talk about some of the mistakes that John Lynch made. Yeah, John Lynch has had some questionable uh, choices. I'll leave it at that much. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I, agree. I agree. Um, But if Purdy somehow manages to quarterback this team and they make it to the Super Bowl and they win, would that be a better story than Tom Brady being the uh, six-round pick and winning? Yes, because Mr. You don't. How often do you hear about a Mr. Irrelevant making you don't. big plays? Zero. And I heard that they're making a... I thought I heard that Disney's either making a movie about how Brady was the sixth round pick. And by the way, if Mr. Irrelevant wins Super Bowl, he should get his own movie. Yeah, I, I would agree with that take. I mean, Brock, and what's so weird about it, I wish the Jets had a quarterback like Brock Purdy. I do. Because, not that I, well, I don't know what yeah. fan, I, I don't know what team I'm a fan of at this point, but. <laughs> Um, you say that now, but you know damn well you're gonna come. You're gonna be coming back for more. Uh, I don't want to, and especially the rumors I hear about Aaron Rodgers in a Jets uniform. Oh, but I, I digressed. Brock Purdy looks really good. He's willing to make the throws, and I'm sure we're going to talk about the Niners in that next segment as well because 
there's so many options for them going forward into next season. It's insane, including three quarterback options. Yes, I would agree, but I'm going to save my McCarthy rant for later because, and you'll see why I didn't get to McCarthy. Don't, don't think I forgot about him. Oh, I, I have one too. So, <laughs> so our next segment, what's the problem? And in this segment, we are going to be talking about the four teams that got eliminated and how they can improve. I'm going to start with the Giants, my team, because why not? And I'm going to talk a little bit more about this on tomorrow night's episode with Tom, but I think the problem was simply this. The talent level between them and the Eagles was just way, way too big. Like, don't get me wrong, they, them getting into the playoffs was a huge accomplishment, but ultimately, because of their limit limitations, thank you, Gettleman. <laughs> I mean, see what I mean when I wrote that article saying, do not be crediting Gettleman with this year's success. How can you when he partially destroyed the team first? <laughs> well, not only did he destroy them, he put them $19 million in cap hell. Well, by the way, I was going to bring this up because I don't know who said it to me. Aren't they going to have close to $60 million in cap space coming up? Yes, and that is a credit to Joe Shane doing the equivalent of taking that college freshman's credit card that he used for the first time and having to snip it up with scissors and then having to pay back most of the money and then some. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> All I could say is there's one contract I bet he can't wait to get off the uh, the books this offseason, if you know what I mean. Oh, Galladay. Yes, the $72 million contract from hell. I would say Galladay, you got to get rid of. I mean, this was the guy. You, this was the guy the previous regime paid a lot of money to, and he got rele relegated to the point where we praised him for a block in the win against the Vikings. <laughs> and you could say, "Oh, well, that block helped win the game," except it's not what he's paid to do. And second of all. You got outplayed by a steel trade that Joe Shane made, and yet you're getting paid like 72 million, and we're praising you for a block. You know what was funny though is I, I said to Tom Albano, so we don't get confused with Tom's here, but I said to him, Is that Kenny Galladay out on the field? I was so lost when I first saw him out there. I was like, what just and and like you said, all of a sudden on Twitter I see people going crazy. Oh my god, he did something. And I was like, um, when you get paid $72 million, you should be doing more than just something. So needless to say, getting a wide receiver is one thing that is yes. very, very important for the Giants. Yep. What else do they need? Um, I would say an interior offensive lineman. Evan Neal, I think, will improve. I think Nick Gates would be fine if you put him at center. Get rid of John Feliciano. Add an, add some more offensive line depth, no problem. Not not a big deal. And I think Evan Neal in the second year, he's going to get better. He has the talent. Not worried about that. Not worried about him as much as other members of the offensive line. And Andrew Thomas, we know what we're getting with him. He's awesome. And oh, I just realized that's another guy I'd probably put ahead of. That's like one guy that you could maybe argue would fight with some of the other members of the Eagles, but 
Sorry. Back to this one. Uh, linebacking depth. Linebacking depth definitely helps. I mean, haven't hasn't really been our strong suit in a while. I mean, we did have Blake Martinez for a year, but he tore his ACL and haven't really had a great linebacker, I would say, since, I don't know, maybe Chase Blackburn, Antonio Pierce. I mean, the way I look at the Giants, the big thing. They also, need... cornerback. Corner, you... cor- get another cornerback, too. Yes, they need yeah, they need was, help across the board. I was talking about this with Tom. If uh, Joey Porter Jr. is available, I would not be opposed to taking him at all. That would be interesting, actually. You have him and Adore Jackson. Oh, my God. That'd be sick. Um, The things I would look at, one, they got to get. Porter could play. I've seen his. I've seen tape of him at Penn State. So have I. Yeah. I'm, I'm sold on that guy. Uh, I think you got to bring Saquon back. You have to. See, I agree. My concern is the price. And the reason I say that is because you have to remember, running back is a position that doesn't have quite as much value now than in years past. Well, are you talking about value or shelf life? Value. Okay. But... With that being said, Saquon Barkley is a leader. Like, that would be a big, big loss if they let him go. Because how do you re- – it's not just the production you're trying to replace. Like, it's the leadership quality. You need you need a number one back, number one running back. Yeah. that That's and a tough thing to replace. You also need to get a reasonable contract for Daniel Jones. So, in other words, while – I think I'm proud of what the Giants did this season. They're still, they've still got a bit of a ways to go. I, it might not necessarily happen until maybe a little bit later when they really become like a, a true contender. Maybe next year, maybe, maybe next year they're still a playoff team, but I don't know that it happens right away. I think they need to work on consistency, which has been their problem over the years, keeping guys together. That's a big thing Giants need to work on. And I think what's going to end up happening, if remember, they have the franchise and tag in the back of their pocket, in their back pocket. So if they can't agree to a deal, they're just going to put a franchise tag on Saquon. Mm-hmm. So if he can't agree to a deal, he's going to be back with the Giants unless he's going to hold out. You know, Would you think he would hold out or no? Uh, I can't. I don't know. if Maybe. Because if that's the case, that's going to be even more of a distraction if you place a franchise tag on him and then he holds out. So now he's played well. The last two seasons were the recovery and the big season. But the Giants could argue, too, that he's been hurt. Yes. So you kind of have both sides of the coin. Now, the other thing they really do need, and I said it before, I'll say it again now, they need to go out and get a a number one wide receiver. In the worst way possible. Now, is that a trade? Is it free agency? I would also call the Panthers for uh, DJ Moore. That's another name I would go out and look at. Um, (laughs) I mean, the Panthers, first of all, the Panthers were playing stubborn at the trade deadline this season. Oh, we're not trading him. We're competing. Competing for what? (laughs) All right. So let's move on to the Jacksonville Jaguars. What's another thing that you feel could be improved with them? 
I happen to like Christian Kirk. I think that was a great fit with them. And they definitely overpaid in a big way. Now, I think they had to because they really needed. Now, I don't know if Kirk's Kirk's really like a a 1B, not a 1A, in my opinion. Like he could make Mm -hmm. the number one catches, but is he going to get the number one reps? So they need another wide receiver in the worst way possible. Who, who that is, could they be in uh, in the talks with Arizona maybe to look at Hopkins also? That would be an interesting pick since Hopkins wants out of Arizona. Their running back situation is fine. Maybe just finding another running back to back up ETN. I mean, that would be that would be good. Their quarterback situation is fine. They just need to build reps. I don't think you need to totally like replace anything on their roster. It's just more games, more playing together, more chemistry. Yeah, I would agree. Because like I said, you've got some talent there in place, but I think you definitely need to get Trevor that big game experience. And I think he definitely is capable of winning big games for them down the line. And um, have a decent coach in uh, Doug Peterson. So, Well, that's a big difference from who he had originally. (laughs) Um, Oh, God, that's... That's not even a very high bar you're setting, but yes. <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. There's no. Let's just say there's no bar. Yeah, no bar makes sense. So now let's go to the Buffalo Bills. This is interesting because of what we started to discuss. There is a situation going on with Stefan Diggs. Is Stefan Diggs doing the same thing that he did in Minnesota, where he was not happy with the quarterback situation because they lost? And Stefan Diggs, the reports were after the game that he basically hightailed it out of the locker room before the coaches could even make it back to talk to the team before the season was over. And a rookie running back had to pull him back in the locker room to say, we're all staying here until the coaches get here. That's not a good look. It was a horrible look. And it shows that Stefan Diggs has a big ego on himself. Here's my thing with the Bills. I think they need to work. They need to not live and die by Josh Allen. I agree with you. I think one of the big reasons, one of the big things that's been their downfall is they have over relied on him. They've essentially wanted him to be the running back at times too. I mean, don't be wrong. He has that talent, but if he comes out and talks about his elbow, when you and I both had that sneaky suspicion about him not being in good shape, don't you think maybe you could add that running back just in case, like, say, worst case scenario? I mean, happens. here's something I don't get. Why were they not in the McCaffrey sweepstakes when he was up for trade? That would have put them on top. That's my point. That, that would have, like, made such a huge difference. I mean... They had such a loaded roster where, like, if you want to tell me, oh, book, 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 my, my, my draft picks. No, you're you're a Super Bowl contender. When you're draft when, pick doesn't mean you know what. I mean, when you're a top when you're the top three or four competing Super Bowl teams, your draft capital doesn't mean anything for the for the couple of years you're competing. Your draft capital becomes your trade capital at that point to go get out to get the people you need. If they had McCaffrey right now, they would still be playing. Yes. 
and I, I can confidently say they'd still be playing. Now, I know everyone's going to say fallacy of a predetermined outcome. McCaffrey, was... if they had the running back necessary so Josh Allen didn't have to throw the ball. You know what? Yeah. No, I'm going to take it a step further. If McC- if they had McCaffrey, I think they might be the number one seed. I think you're right. I don't even, I don't even know if they would have. I think maybe they'd be playing the Bengals this week instead of the week before. I mean, Josh Allen threw the ball 42 times against the Bengals. That's a lot. That's a lot. And only to put up 10 points. And no wonder the Bengals defense had such an easy time. I mean, if you're the Bills, the, the Bills have a great running attack. They did not use it. Singletary's okay. I mean, granted, he's not McCaffrey, but like if you had a two headed monster of Singletary and McCaffrey, and then you had Allen. You're probably you're probably still playing. Not only are you still playing, who's gonna beat you? Who's gonna beat that team? You're not beating them. I mean, by who the way, that team. Do you want to know who the leading rusher for the game was? Let's hear it. Josh Allen. Oh my <laughs> Buffalo, I swear, if you Kurt and if you ruin Josh Allen. I will find you and I will hurt you. Here's the thing. Josh Allen can be, is an elite quarterback. I believe that. Yes. And there aren't many elite quarterbacks. Right. But he's got to get past the championship game. I mean, uh, the conference game. He's got to get past the conference game and win. Because now the Bills' expectations went from being here to here. They zoomed all the way up into the atmosphere. And now the expectations are so high that when he loses, people are going to start questioning whether he could be a, an elite quarterback. Fair or not, that's the reality. So there's a reason that I've been saving this next team on this segment. <laughs> How about them Cowboys? Ah, <laughs> oh, man, this is the fun part. Now, what's the problem? I mean, a lot (laughs) on the surface. We look at the Cowboys. You've got Tony Pollard, who hopefully for their sake, he comes back healthy next year. You've got a really good defense. Micah Parsons is an absolute animal. You, You know what I had a problem with with the Cowboys was after the game. The tweet that came out of the Cowboys Twitter account. Did you see it? I mean, just in case people didn't see this tweet, Dak Prescott gave away the ball twice in the narrow loss to the 49ers in a matchup that the Cowboys had a chance to win if they didn't, again, generate self-inflicted wounds. Excuse me? I'm sorry. What? Who the... uh, I, I want to know if Jerry Jones was standing behind the social media manager for the Cowboys. It said, hey, uh, social media guy, uh, how about them Cowboys? Tweet this. As I mean, long as he owns that team. They're not winning. And friendly neighborhood reminder, Dak Prescott is still under contract. Uh, he just signed a contract, if I'm not mistaken, recently. He did, but I'm just saying you're still stuck with him under contract. And let me 
read you his numbers. It's forty million a year, by the way. To yeah, for an above average quarterback. Great, great move. I wouldn't even say he's above average. I would say he's average. Okay, let me rephrase that. Above average at best. Okay. I'll give you that one. Okay. Okay. 206 yards, a touchdown, two picks. It was ugly. How did he not have a pick six at the end of that game? I know. That was crazy. Th- this You should have had more picks than that. This game was ugly with a capital U. Oh, once again. Oh, now you now it's your turn to steal a Jaguar Gator Nine line. What? Ugly with the capital U. Oh, I didn't even know that was his line. Wow, no, that worked out. <laughs> ugly with the capital U, and then I'm sorry. What are like two of his funnier lines on on the videos that he makes, as but, well as um, I would say, and to alter another line of his, he did he did slightly better than a quarterback that did nothing than sput. That did nothing but spike the ball into the ground every single play <laughs> with a sixty-three point six passer rating. Oh my god! Um, but what's the problem with the Cowboys? Gee, do we have two hours to to explain this whole thing? No. Um, Zach um, Prescott. My, let me put it this way: If I'm a doctor diagnose, diagnosing the Cowboys. I would say it's going to be a while before you can even think about them being a legitimate team that can win a Super Bowl. I agree with you. The, uh, their situation, first of all, they have one of the top defensive guys in all of football, and they still can't win the games. Micah Parsons is one of the best in football. You're going to waste his career for a good amount of time. Yep. That's what I was they about to are say. Essentially, remind me of a certain baseball team that I root for. That make no mistake, they're talented, but yet I just you have that fallacy of a predetermined outcome every time they get to October. It's true. But I hate get, using them. I hate myself for using that comparison, but it's so true though. But with Dak making 40 plus million a year, by the way, just to go back to that situation and that contract situation when that went down, if I were Jerry Jones at that point, I would have told Dak. Uh, you can hold out. We don't need you. But he not only signed him, but he's going to keep Mike McCarthy around. And good Lord, what was that play calling that we saw from him? I, I literally would have put a franchise tag on Dak and forced him to hold out. I would have. Can he's we not... talk about that horrible play calling, though? Oh, yeah, Sorry we can. Yes, yes, we can. It was so bad. It was so bad. <laughs> you had Dak throw the ball to a receiver with five seconds left. You didn't try a hook and lateral. You you literally threw it to a guy who got uh, tackled on the spot. (laughs) There was no chance of that succeeding. I mean, granted, he had another moment on one of their second to last drives where he just let a lot of the clock go. Yeah. And again, what is it with these coaches this year and like be and hoarding their timeouts? I, I, I'll never understand that to this day. Use the time out. That's what they're there for. I mean, I get it. If say it's under two minutes and you're trying to get down the field, you're better off spiking the football, getting up off the ground and saving the touchdown, uh, saving the timeout so you can get into field goal range. But here, no. This team stinks. It stinks I, so bad. Listen, 
as much as I love making fun of them when they lose, that's the same reason why I can't put them ahead of the Eagles as my least favorite team. Because now at this point, I mean, granted, I grew up with them being white noise and like really despising them. But like, as I got older and the more they started, like they kept on like choking, it's like, now it's just a given. Like now it's like, National celebrate Cowboys demise day. Oh, wait, that's every day. <laughs> well, I was saying this to some friends and also to some uh, to Tom and Johnny also that the Cowboy fan base must be the most miserable fan base in all of football because they think that they're on top of the world and Jerry Jones is going to spend this money and and they're going to win a Super Bowl. They're so far away from a Super Bowl. It's not even funny about the only one of the few cowboy fans that would agree with us is our good friend Brian Atard from uh from uh the Sports Box host of Blue Truth and you know the head honcho of that program. He's got to be frustrated. Oh, I'm sure he is. Like he he will tell you that the season's a failure and you know, he will tell you a lot of things that are flawed about the Cowboys. You know, it was so crazy. Like on shows like First Take, they were running banners on the show that said, is it a Super Bowl or bust year for the Cowboys? I almost broke out laughing. A Super Bowl or bust year for the Cowboys? What? I'm sorry. What? That team just gets overhyped like crazy every year. It's just, it's too easy. Micah Parsons needs to demand out of Dallas. You're never going to win there. All right. Well, you know what? I've danced on their grave enough. Let's talk about championship weekend. Yes. So, um, all right. Would you like to start with uh, the Eagles game, I think? <laughs> or would you like to start with the uh, other game? I feel like the Eagles game should be the one, only because that's the one that starts first. Yeah, let's start with the Niners and the Eagles. Um, so, I believe the Niners are, or I believe the Eagles are favored by two. They're at home at the link. It, you know, should be a very close game. It feels like a pick em, actually, with the game being favored by two, just because of how good those teams are. I'm trying to look it up as we speak. Oh, I just found it. So the so the Eagles are a two and a half favorite right now. Oh, two and a half favorite. Yeah. So, so there is a hook quite... involved. <laughs> huh? So there is a hook quite... involved. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Not quite the pick'em that I thought it would be, but you know, it's still pretty close. Close line now. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting. Brock Purdy going across country on the road to Philadelphia. That's going to be his first like big time test. Um. I still think the the Niners are better defensively than the Eagles are. I think I think the offense I think the offenses are about even. I think they're going to be competing all game. You're going to see a bunch of scoring. It's going to be who can hold the who can hold the offense down from the other team at the last moment when needed. Um the way I the way I did it is I think San Fran I just think the running game is better for San Fran. I think Purdy and the Niners are just better chemistry-wise. Jalen Hurts still does not look 100% healthy to me. Um, I think he had 154 yards last week against the Giants. Like, that's not good. If, if he throws 154 yards against the Niners, 
they're going to get blown out of the building. Well, to be fair, it was also blood, and I don't think they needed to rely on his arm a lot for the rest of the game. But it kind of scares me, though, that they put up 38 points and he only put up 154 yards. True, true. It's fair. So I'm leaning on the Niners. You and I have been, you've been on the Niners. I've been on the Niners. We think that they're going to make a run. I think they're heading to the Super Bowl. I'm taking the Niners uh, to win the game. Upset. As um, <laughs> as uh, is one of your sound bites. <laughs> yes. How? Where, which way are you leaning? Uh, you know where I've stood all season long. I said a while ago the Niners would be the biggest threat to the Eagles. I stand by that, and I understand Brock Purdy has yet to beat a team as good as the Philadelphia Eagles, and I understand he's going cross-country, but I think the Niners overall have the barely better team. They're going to win a very close one. It's going to be whoever can get the last defensive stop. That's how I see it. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Where are we going here? We got Cincy and Kansas City. I think this is going to be very close too, right? Yes. <sighs> Let's see. Cincy is a one-point favorite right now. So that's a pick em. It's essentially an even game. It's a pick em. Yeah. I am going to go with the Bengals. I do not trust the health of Patrick Mahomes because high ankles, playing with a high ankle sprain, that thing is no joke. And the other thing that makes me lean towards the Bengals is simply this defense. The Bengals defense has been on fire lately. They just held the Bills to 10 points. Yeah, like, I, I didn't expect that either. The Bills, the Bills tactics. That's still pretty damn impressive. It is. It's really impressive. Um, I said this last week. I'll say it again. Yeah, And even going into the playoffs when they started, I think the Chiefs were one of the worst defenses in the playoffs, in my opinion. They struggled. Their offense is matching the points of the defense, which is not good. Who are they going to cover wide receiver-wise? It's a good this question. One a, this one I'm a lot more confident with. I am too. The I, Eagles game, I'm not I'm not as confident in the Niners only because I, I saw how good the Eagles are up close. Well, actually, yeah, up close because I was at the game at the Meadowlands when we got clobbered by the Eagles. Oof. But you <laughs> saw that I was like all wet and cold from that day. I did. I remember. Um, but yeah, I'm more confident. I'm also uh, going to go Bengals. Uh, I'm taking the Bengals minus one to cover and more. I can probably. hear Tom Albano right now screaming it in our ear. Don't disrespect the Bengals. Yes. Uh, since last year, too. He has been. And they got a lot of disrespect from Vegas alone for the point spreads. But I think you're right. I think Mahomes is not healthy, even though he... A couple hours ago, came out of the press conference. No walking boot, not limping. Um, I mean, if he's healthier, it'll definitely help the Chiefs going into the game for sure. If they, if he were like, say he wasn't going to play, then it would have been a blowout by far. If he wasn't playing, he's definitely playing. So, I think Kelsey is also going to get compromised because Mahomes is in, high ankle sprain injury is on his plant leg. So if he can't plant and make throws, Kelsey becomes compromised, and then he's not the value that they need him to be. Bengals definitely win. 
I completely agree. And um, so we've got a little bit of time. You want to talk a little bit about the baseball <laughs> Hall of Fame votes? I do. I, I've been waiting for this. Ooh. So while you're doing that, well, I'll start with some of the stuff. So for most people who didn't see it, the MLB Hall of Fame voting was yesterday. Um, 75% of the vote is needed. Scott Rowland gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, I think with, what was it, 76.3%, I think. So he deserved it in every way, shape, or form. Really good career. Really good uh, third baseman. Um, you know what really stuck out to me with with Rowland was his shoulder injury, playing through the shoulder injuries. Um, do you remember the cortisone shots that he needed just to play through the playoff games? Yes, I do. I just remember those Cardinal games where he basically was, and I'm not the biggest proponent of the cortisone shot because I get very worried about how those uh, sit and go and play and all that stuff. But I don't know. Did you see anybody else really getting in? Um. Here's the thing. I was not 100% sure Scott Rowland was going to get in, but I was very pleasantly surprised that he got inducted. I mean, yeah, you're right. He did play through a good amount of pain over the course of his career. I don't think I mentioned that yet in the blog that I'm working on, so I got to put that in there. Um, Yeah, no, he missed a good amount of games in his career because of that, and yet he still won eight gold gloves. Right. Yes. And then I like I'm trying to find the numbers because for some reason I, I can't mean, find numbers. But so I have some right here because I have my blog the blog I'm working on right in front of me. Okay. So eight gold gloves, seven all star appearances, and you know, his he didn't quite have the milestones that a lot of the other Hall of Famers have. I mean, two thousand seventy seven hits, three hundred sixteen home runs. In my opinion, he was a pretty underrated baseball player, like you know, underrated in the sense that, like, you know, even though he got the recognition as one of the greatest defensive third basemen in the game, he wasn't really considered a star per se, you know? Right. I agree with you. I mean, and I'll give you another reason why I think he was kind of, like, underrated. I mean, for one thing, when he was with the Phillies, like, most of those Phillies teams were, you know, pretty much in rebuild. This this is kind of the lean years after 1993 and before before they started to contend again. And even though he was there for their first winning season since that 93 year in 01, that was like, that was when things were starting to turn around. But by that point, I don't think he was very happy in Philadelphia. And essentially Larry Bow was calling him out to the media after going over three, because he thought that like, you know, he doesn't like, they thought that he didn't like put in the effort and it was too cool. Like, not the typical Philly player. You know what I mean? Right. So he kind of got ragged on for no legit reasons. And I feel like part of that might've had to do with the fact that he was a third baseman like Mike Schmidt in his shadow. So I don't like, he was solid with Philly. Don't get me wrong. But if you look at his numbers with the Cardinals, he it, they get slightly better. And I think not to take anything away from him because he still has to hit the pitches that are in front of him. But I think being in the same lineup as Albert Pujols and Jim Edmonds really helped him, I think, in the middle of his career after that trade. And by the way, 
I have a little hot take about that trade that the Phillies made in 2002. I think that actually worked out for both trips. For both, it did both sides. It did work out for. Even though the Phillies lost Scott Rowland, I mean, at the end of the day, like he didn't he didn't want to stay there. He didn't. They gave him a lucrative contract. He rejected it, and then they were able to get a few years of Placido Blanco out of it. That's not really. I wouldn't call that a loss. Right, and. I you mean, know what? Was necessarily was Polanco necessarily better than Roland? No, but Polanco did help the Phillies get better during those years. It was interesting because Polanco kind of had like an up, up, up. Then he got hurt, and that was the end of his career. But the way I look at the Roland situation is really good player. Once he got to St. Louis, it looked when they made the postseason. That was in the middle of the run where St. Louis was making the postseason like every year. Well, he was one. He was a third of MV three. Yes. And that was when they were known as MV3, Edmonds, Pujols, and Roland. That was a heck of a a trio at the time, too. Like, Like, don't get me wrong, as great as that Red Sox pitching was, I can't believe that lineup got neutralized the way they did in that World Series. Yeah, I was confused by that also. Um, But Scott Roland definitely deserved to get in. When he was in St. Louis, he was a gritty player also. Like, he fought through everything, like I said, through shoulder injuries and never really missed games in St. Louis really. And then for some reason he decided to go to their rival in Cincinnati, which made no sense to me. Well, actually you forget he was with Toronto briefly and then he went to Cincinnati at the end. Oh, was it? I oh, right. Lost over Toronto and Cincinnati, but like those were really the end of his career. I forgot about that. You're right. He did go to Toronto first, but and he was all right with Cincinnati, but he wasn't like, I would say that 1998 to like 2006 was really his prime so to speak. He definitely deserved to get in. He didn't have any uh, public incidents or any issues in the media. By the way, let me acknowledge these two commenters, Saijin and uh, East Coast Gridiron. What's up, guys? Thank you guys for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Yep. Um, But yeah, he he was just an all-around great guy, in my opinion. He was. And you don't see that really anymore. A lot of today's guys have a lot of ego and a lot of gravitas. As now, opposed- let me ask you this question. Okay. Which cap do you see him getting in into in the Hall of Fame? Would you say the Phillies because that's where he spent most of the more of his career? Or would you put the Cardinals because that was where he had his better years? That's a good question. See, I tend to remember him as a Cardinal, although then again, I'm too young to really remember his time with the Phillies. But I, I'm the same as you. I see him as a Cardinal because that was the year that he they won the World Series and he, they they were constantly in the playoffs. You got to go in as a Cardinal. And like I said, even he was one of many good bats in that lineup. He, if he if Pujols wasn't there, who knows how how he would have been? But nevertheless, he still was an incredibly good third baseman. Like. Probably one of the best fielding third baseman of our of our lifetimes. I mean, A Rod was pretty good too, but like eight gold gloves. I mean, actually, no, I take that back. I think Nolan Arenado may have surpassed him already. I think he has. But well, let me ask you another question since you brought it up: the hats. What's your opinion on the whole hats thing going into the Hall of Fame? See, I feel like it should either be for longevity or for where you had your best years and Roland played six years in St. Louis. That's, that's kind of a long time. He still was, 
he still was part of a good amount of success there. I think even though he didn't play there longer than Philadelphia, like he was only with Philadelphia for one more year than St. Louis. But he accomplished more in St. Louis by far. Yes. But I always thought that had Philadelphia, he was he was still pretty good. And I still think one day the Phil I still think one day the Phillies might eventually bury their hatchet and put him into the wall of fame. Like they should. I don't think, as far as I know, I don't think he's shown up at their alumni weekend since since that trade. I mean, I don't that's a tough one, but I don't know. The hats thing kind of annoys me at times because they're like, all right, which hat are you going to pick? Which Because basically you're calling out one team over every other one if you played for multiple teams, unless you're like a Derek Jeter and you played your whole career with one team at the Yankees. Well, that's different. So that's obvious. Um, yeah, that's why even though he won that World Series with the Mets, I still think the Hall of Fame did the right thing by getting Carter and Gary Carter as an expo, even even though he had some good years with the Mets, he had his 10 years with the Expos. He was already an established player by the time he came to the Mets. Like after that World Series, that was when his career was kind of on the downturn. And also give me that example. Right. And I also, think Andre Dawson wanted to be a Cub too, but again, he played a lot with the Expos. So, but I remember him more as a Cub, the Dawson. Dawson. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if we were, I don't think you were even like, no, but I'm just saying I, the, all the highlights because of, the highlights and the season probably right well and also just in general like all the because i'm a baseball card collector memorabilia collector like most of the stuff i see with him is in a cubs uniform usually i know it's bizarre but it's true now side possible side tangent imagine if he never was an expo and was a cub his whole career like imagine how much better his knees would have been uh a heck of a lot better yeah playing in that horrible astroturf at olympic stadium by the way, also, when you look at the Hall of Fame, look at the longevity of years that these guys play. Uh, I still, I don't know if you agree. I think baseball is the longest tenured sport when it comes to careers. Right. In, in terms of Hall of Fame, hockey's up there too, but yeah. So he had 17 years. A lot of these guys have had 20 years. It's crazy how many years you have to play and then hope to get into the Hall of Fame afterwards. Now... Let's talk about the elephant in the room, the snubs. So a lot of people are going to say, talk about A-Rod and Manny and maybe Beltron and I guess Gary Sheffield to a certain extent. As How about one that just missed? Who? Um, Todd yeah. Helton? I'm, I'm getting to him. Okay. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, no, there are just as many guys who I think are just as worthy that were not connected to scandals. I agree with you. These guys, Todd Helton, who you just mentioned, Todd Helton. Let me give you this fact about Todd Helton. So he had the four silver sluggers, his career batting average, three sixteen, and over 2,500 hits. And I'm surprised he only had 306, nearly 370 home runs. I would have thought that would have been more. <clears throat> but nonetheless, that's a great career. Four silver sluggers. Guy can totally rake. Yes, but, absolutely. But he played at Coors Field. That's uh, an easy part. I'll shut the, the you-know-what up. I'm so tired of that excuse with... Well, he okay. played. He played at Coors Field. He played in Colorado. The air is not is. Uh, White as it is in Colorado. Oh, please. Give me a break. 
Okay, so I'm about to put do something interesting. I am going to create a little ticker. So okay. I'm about to put a slash line at the bottom of the screen. Oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> so here's one slash line. Okay. And I want you to guess who this one is. Who would that be? Who can it be now? This is Scott Rowland's career slash line. Really? Yep. 281 batting average, 364 on base percentage, 490 OBP. Now, if I'm not mistaken, because I was doing some research on this, Todd Helton hit over 300 for his career, right? Correct. I think he hit like 315. This is Todd Helton's road numbers. So he hit better than Rowland did career. On the road. On the road. His numbers on the road are better than the career numbers that Scott Rowland had. And I'm not saying that Scott Rowland does not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I absolutely think it's great. He does. Yes, absolutely. No one. There are some people that may disagree with that with my assessment. Fine. Whatever. That's totally your call. Todd Helton. Also, Todd Helton won four gold gloves. We don't really talk about his field enough. You know what the thing is, though? The reason he probably gets in over Helton is because Roland has the rings. That, again, the ring argument does matter. I don't... I am a believer in the ring The ring matter series, but baseball is, like, kind of more of a harder sport to, like, you know, get that ring. It is. It's very difficult. You Because ha- baseball is the most team sport out of any one of them all. You, If one person Fs up, then your team's not winning. I mean, so... But that being said, I don't feel as badly for Helton because he did get a 20% jump in the votes. He's going to get in next year. He's going to, yeah, he's going to get in. I just, I, I, the fact that he was this close, it just doesn't sit too well with me. I hate, I feel like he got robbed. Of course he got robbed. Of course. And I guarantee you, if you go and pull the vote, the writers that vote, by the way, I, I said this on ETB. I'll say it here. I have a problem with the way the writers vote over the last and couple let of years. Me, um, let me give you other guys that I feel like got shafted. Billy okay. Wagner. He got shafted big time. One of the, I understand he's not Mariano Rivera, but don't come at me with the argument that his, his postseason ERA was over 10. You can't just keep a guy out of the hall of fame just because his postseason numbers were too were too high, despite the fact that he had an amazing career. That would be like saying Ted Williams shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame because he only had he didn't have an extra base hit in the nineteen forty six World Series. But Billy Wagner has four hundred twenty two career saves, top six. He was consistently he consistently had like 30, 40 saves a year, two point thirty one ERA. That's impressive for a closer. It's very impressive. He was uh, he was always in the discussion for like closers you don't want to face at the end of the game. You're telling me that guy's not Hall of Fame worthy? By the way, uh lefty closer too. Yes. People don't talk about that by the way. Billy Wagner definitely got screwed. Let me give you another guy who got screwed. Andrew Jones. Yes. 430 home runs. He what does he have like 
He's one of the best defensive outfielder. He had 10 gold gloves. He's one of the leaders in defensive runs saved. You're and you're going to tell me that guy's not a Hall of Famer just because oh he had a bad like last five years of his career. I mean, by the way, one of the youngest outfielders to compete in the World Series. Also, I think yeah. he was nine. He was nineteen, right? Yeah, and also he had home run his first two at bats off of um, I believe that uh, well one was off Andy Pettit. Yes, Brian Bowen <laughs> in game one of the World Series. It's such a crazy thought. He will, he, he, he eventually will begin. He's a Hall of Famer, like when he was like in his early 20s. Yes, he will eventually be in. He will eventually be in, like a bunch of the guys. Pujols, he would have won MVP in 2005. That's how great he was that year. Yes, I agree with you. He will be one of the few guys that will definitely be in in the next year or two. I hope. Um, Billy Wagner got 68.1, so I can see him getting in eventually. Yeah, I... Um, I'll tell you who I also kind of feel bad for. Okay. Last name before we get out of here. Okay. Jeff Kent. You know what? Johnny and I had an interesting uh, discussion about this. And here's the problem with Kent, and it's not his fault. Kent was part of the era. Okay. But I'm gonna I'm gonna rebut that. I'm not no no, no I'm not blaming him for that. I'm saying that being part of the era where as soon as a black cloud ends up on top of your head, that's that's it. He also he was his name was never really linked to that. I agree, but there were rumors for the longest time. I understand time. there were rumors, but there was no like concrete evidence. And what do they say about innocent until proven guilty? No, you're right. I, I'm and I'll be. F I make no mistake. Jeff Kent, from what I understand, is a total jerk. Like, I, I, I know. I heard his ego is like through the roof. But I mean, I understand. Like Barry Bonds wasn't great either, and they got into fights in the dugout in San Francisco. That's an interesting duo to be teammates. Um, they, I think they they. They may have like been great in the lineup, but like as far as chemistry goes, they went they mixed probably about as well together as peanut butter and nitroglycerine, <laughs> or oil and water. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Kent, I think if I remember correctly, and this I guess would be a fun fact, I think he's the all-time leading second baseman in home runs. Yes, that's correct. So he also. Here's another thing. You ask any Giant fan, they will tell you that they trusted Jeff Kent just as much as Barry Bonds come up with a big hit. And that was true in the 2000. That was true during their 2002 postseason run, like during the moments when Barry Bonds wasn't even getting pitched to because everyone was so afraid to throw to him. Although, granted, Barry Bonds had a fantastic World Series that year. But I don't know if Barry Bonds posts those numbers in 2001 and 2002 without Jeff Kent in the lineup. No, Jeff Kent was his uh, protection. And maybe you could argue certain, you know, anabolic stuff that he injected, but we'll talk about that another day. Well, if you read the, uh, it's since you like reading books so much, did you read the um, the Balco book? I don't think I read the Balco book, but I read "Love Me, Hate Me," the story of an antihero about Barry Bonds that Jeff Perlman wrote. That was a good, that is a good one. I've read that one. That and one he that one came out right at around the same time as the Balco book, 
and Jeff Perlman said that one of his biggest regrets was that he published that right around the same time. And because of that, it didn't really sell well, but right. I because have, yeah, I read the Barry Bonds book during quarantine. Fantastic. Read. He, he's like, a re Perlman's a really good author in my opinion. Oh, he's fantastic. I read, he wrote bad guys. One gunslinger, which was about Brett Favre. Show, he wrote two really good Laker books too. But um, Farawada and uh, and Lance Williams like that shot them to the moon when they wrote the Balco book. I'm gonna I I want to find a copy of that somewhere at a library. Like that I mean, that I hear is really good. I won't spoil it, but I'll basically say, do you remember Greg Anderson? Is the, the guy that was trainer? He was the tr uh, Barry Bonds' trainer who ended up in jail for uh, contempt of court because he wouldn't talk. I'll I'll leave it at that. You you definitely want to read all the testimonials in yeah, the book. No, I've heard the name before. I I remember no. his name being mentioned in uh, "Love Me, Hate Me: True Story of an Antihero." So it's a really good book. It's a long book, but it's a good book. And um, but yeah, no, Jeff Jeff Perlman basically said that Kemp was not one of the better guys, a guy that wasn't really pleasant to interview. You know what's crazy? He, I think he he was one of very few players to play for the Giants and the Dodgers too, right? Yeah, that's right. And even with the Dodgers, he had some clutch hits. Again, all-time leading second baseman for home runs. And he only got, and he couldn't get any more than like forty-six point and a half percent of the boat. Like I, I, I just, I, I don't get that. Like, I don't think like he gets. I said, I'm not a Jeff Kent fan by any by any sense of the imagination. Like, I don't really support guys who are jerks. But like, if I think that he should be a Hall of Famer, then I'll say so. And this this goes back to the point I was making though about the writers that over the years, what do the writers do best that keep people out of the Hall of Fame? They hold grudges against people. Ultimately, though, I think he might get in the Veterans Committee. Um, well, does, But that might not happen until several years down the line. But the difference, well, you, knew, you know they changed the rule from originally it was 15 years on the regular ballot to 10 years now, right? Yeah. And then I think you get five years on the Veterans Committee ballot. So the one difference is on the Veterans Committee ballot, you have you have 16 votes. You have to get 12. So if you yeah. get 12 votes, you're in. I think Fred McGriff got 12. So he got he right got at the number. Them, I think. Oh, did he get all of them? I think he got all of them or pretty um, close. But I think the minimum to get in is 12 out of 16. Fred McGriff, talk about <laughs> a guy who's been I mean, what do you have? 493 home runs, I think. He was... He, talk about he was fantastic. Talk about someone who uh, played on Tampa when they first came up. Well, anyways, I think that'll pretty much wrap it up with our show. I mean, we had a pretty good amount, good amount of stuff to discuss in only like an hour and a half. Oh man, we could have gone on about the Hall of Fame forever. I mean, I, let me point out one thing, and I told this to Johnny as well. When you look at the names on this list, and there is a interesting uh, part of this, Sheffield. Beltran, A-Rod, Manny Ramirez, Andy Pettit. All those names either took steroids or supposedly are in. Now, spoiler alert, I didn't really mention all those names in, in the in the blog that I'm posting. Yeah. I really focused on Kent, um, Wagner, Helton. And the guys that don't have the cloud, so to speak. Yeah. Which is fine. That's great. And also, Omar Vizquel, like, had a very small percentage, but I think him not getting in has something to do with, like, his domestic violence stuff. 
uh, you could spend a whole two hours on MLB and domestic violence. We don't have time for that now. <laughs> that guy, that guy's a Hall of Famer, but he's talking about another guy who's a total jerk. He kind of was like the Iron Man after Cal Ripken. <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, in any event, that's pretty much all the all the time we have. Uh, Nick, can you please do me a favor and um, plug yourself? Why don't you? So, Empty the Bench Podcast Network at ETB Network across all social media platforms. Uh, Empty the Bench, uh, which is our normal sports show at ETB Sports across all platforms. Also, Hank is on a show on our network at Game On ETB for Game On, where Hank and Johnny Montavano host a show on my network as well. Go check it all out. All right, sounds good. And of course, for all you watching us here, please don't forget to follow us on all of our social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Yes, down below at Review and Preview Sports. And of course, please don't forget to hit that big red button down below. Give us a like, give us a comment, let us know your thoughts. We want to hear from you guys. Folks, you have just watched another episode of Review and Preview. Hopefully, we will have Tom back with you next week and maybe some other guest. But until next time, I'm Hank and Dichter, and I will see you guys later. And I will see you tomorrow night for our live stream of Big Blue Avenue.